Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dreaming in F Minor. I got a big one for you today. Super, super excited to bring you my next guest. Um, this was one that I've been trying to get for a little while now. Uh, you heard me talk about it with a previous guest. Talk about him, rather, with a previous guest. Um, 13-time Emmy winner, re-recording mixer, sound designer, all-around incredible audio engineer, David Rodriguez is with us. He's been a long-time member of the CW family, mixing promos for them, and previously before that for the WB. So, long-time Warner Brothers veteran, and um, the experience he brings to the table is second to none. Before we get into that, though, let me tell you about Simple Equations Media. Simple Equations is a full-service audio and video production company located in Las Vegas, Nevada. We specialize in anything pre-production through post-production. In the film and video world, we also compose music, record music. We do photography. Really, anything that you need in the audio-video world, we can absolutely help you out with. So, make sure to head over to simpleequationsmedia.com. Hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the usual places. And uh, also make sure to head over, check out Dreaming in F Minor on Facebook and Instagram. That's both at Dreaming in F Minor. Um, you can head over to the Patreon as well, which I will be updating soon. And um, yeah, just super excited to bring you this episode today. So uh, without further ado, here is the great David Rodriguez. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the interview today. Very, very happy to be bringing you this episode. This has been one I've been wanting to do for a little while now. So uh, you heard me talking about it in the episode with Adrian Leone. But uh, today we have multi-Emmy winning audio engineer, re-recording mixer, sound designer, um, master of all things audio, David Rodriguez is with us. Uh, Welcome, thank sir. you for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm actually here at your place um, at the uh, beautiful 19 Audio uh, Mix Room, the only Dolby Atmos, Dolby certified Atmos room in Las Vegas. Yeah. So that's super super exciting. Um, kind of uh, give us a little rundown, um, a little more in depth into who you are and what you do and all that. Well. Um, I'm up there in age. I'm 61, and um, I've been through a lot, actually. I lived in Los Angeles from, let's see, 1980 through uh, 90, well, let me see, no, 2003. Mm. And um, I, I originally moved there to be more involved in the music scene, mm -hmm. and so I played in various bands. And, um, you know, went through that whole scene. We were pretty popular th with this one band. Had a lot of um, cool people coming out to see us. And, you know, I thought that that was going to be my future, you mm -hmm. know, in music. Um, we had a deal presented to us. And, uh, gosh, I can remember that vividly. There were five of us band members and and uh, our managers on the other side of the table laying the contract out in front of us, and mm. it was a single album deal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were pretty excited, but um, our managers were thinking that we could end up with a multi-album deal. 
Hmm. And so we didn't sign it. And that multi-album deal never came. Wow. And so we missed out on that opportunity, you know, to document those years mm-hmm. in our lives, you know, of, of the music, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and all we had been doing. So that was uh, one regret in the, in the audio world, you know, mm-hmm. um, one bad business move. Yeah. But that, uh, that led me to um, actually working with Herbie Hancock mm. from uh, 91 to 94. Wow. With he and his partner, and um, in what so, capacity? What were you? Well, we were producing a, a video documentary series um, with a guy by the name of Seth Riggs. He's a vocal coach to okay numerous uh, Grammy winners. I mean, the Who's Who. Nice, you know, all the Jackson, Stevie Wonder. He brought he brought Stevie Wonder back from uh, vocal cord surgery, where all he could wow. sing was a middle C. Uh-huh. And brought him back to his, you know, full oh, range, wow. full capacity. Yeah, very this guy. successful. So, guy. Yeah, and he worked with, uh, you know, you know, all the Broadway people and just everyone, Streisand, you know, mm. everyone. Nice. So that's how I originally, um, you know, got hooked up in that, and then um, we wrote some music for the series, and that ended up becoming nominated. Herbie and I, and Joe Manalakakis was his partner, mm. and. Um, and then from there, um, I kind of cycled my way into the television scene by way of uh, Foley and ADR. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I. Um, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you were you were so into music back in the day. I know that um, we had talked a little bit about how you, you you played music back in the day and whatnot. I didn't realize that you were that that involved in the music industry though. At that one point, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that. Um, being successful as a re-recording mixer, you know, you need to have a musical background. I think yeah, absolutely. you can get by without it, but you know, if I go if I go way back into my music education, I had this professor who was he was the conductor of the local symphony orchestra where I grew up, Stockton, California. Mm-hmm. And um he conducted uh, you know, the uh Korean Symphony when the Olympics were there and he was the conductor there and nice. like he's done a lot um and this guy was really hard on us <laughs> yeah. you know in 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 our music theory class mm. and I just remember him in the teaching of composition he always talked about over the bar you know like w- we would analyze different composers and so forth and you know to to come up with a musical phrase he always talked about over the bar so, you know, music isn't divided up into to bars or, or, you know, eight bars at a time or two bars or one bar, you know, f- musical phrases happen over the bar. Right, right. So I actually, ap- I, I apply that to my editing. Okay. I apply that to my mixing, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and so, you know, for instance, if I'm going to edit, um, one take moving into another i'll find i'll find the word um where I, I i need that edit to be but then i will you know maybe back up the edit a little bit so it it has mm-hmm. um some of the outgoing word involved in disguising the edit in into the incoming word yeah you know absolutely. what i mean absolutely yeah 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 um, um that that makes but, a lot of sense. I do this. I do the. I do a very 
the same thing yeah for sure um it, it does i mean yeah i've met i've met you know mixers and stuff that in in you know in uh in the post-production world that have no concept of music in any way really it's yeah. weird <laughs> it's yeah. really really weird and i and i think it really does help having a musical background um how do you find their mixes um i mean i don't they do a lot of like radio you know very typical kind of stuff mm -hmm. commercials um in like uh those a lot of like um political videos and political seasons and stuff like that mm -hmm. normal Just straight ahead yeah nothing 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 too amazing about it um it's a specific production house or a spe specific post house that i won't mention here because they kind of are kind of yeah weird but <laughs> 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 but um uh yeah you know um I, I did find that interesting, though. It makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of correlations, or at least there should be, mm -hmm. in terms of flow, um, in terms of, yeah, you know. Even, you know, because I came from from a music background myself, and originally working in audio, in music, both playing and engineering, mixing, you know, mm -hmm. um, before I moved on to, move, moved into the post-production realm. You know, I still do music now, obviously, but... Um, but that was like a secondary thing. It's something that I kind of learned in, in when I was going to college a little bit, you know, and that I really loved, but then just kind of naturally migrated into it at some point in time. Yeah. And yeah, everything that I've learned with music, I, I definitely bring over into the post world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, editors too that, um, you know, video editors, picture editors mm -hmm. uh, that have a musical background um, generally give you something that flows a lot nicer than those who do not have that background absolutely you've noticed that yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah. like you know editing to the music you know right, and right. allowing space for you to 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 impactfully create something on beat absolutely yeah, it makes a huge huge difference yeah yeah, yeah. that that the rhythm needs to be respected yeah in, always yeah yeah um yeah very very important i mean sometimes you know you'll look at one piece versus another and you say well wow that feels really good and then you start breaking it down and you'll notice you know things are happening on the beat or mm -hmm. or relative to the beat you know yeah. yeah 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 it's funny whenever i work on something with an editor who didn't necessarily do that like i'll do my sound design to the beat to like emphasize certain things you know and mm -hmm. maybe like you know come at it from a direction of making it more impactful musically and it always comes back and they're like, wow, wow, you, you know, like you, like, or are always so much more blown away, you know, yeah. with it. And it's like, yeah, dude, because we're going to the music here. Like, you know, if it's a trailer or a sizzle reel or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so much more impactful. Absolutely. Especially marketing pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're, yeah. where you're pushing a product or want to make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. You want that emotional, mm -hmm. emotional response. Sure. Music yeah. is the fastest way to get that done. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, music supplies the energy to the piece, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always hypersensitive to that. You know, if, if something is dropping energy, it, it, it will really bug me. And I'll try and figure out a way to, you know, especially in, in a, a marketing piece like a trailer or a promo or mm -hmm. a commercial or something like that. I like to have the energy move from down here up here to the end right mm -hmm. so that there's never a drop right right people feel it oh yeah absolutely 
you know, even in drops in music, like bringing in maybe something that creates a little bit more tension sound design wise, you know, just to kind of keep things progressing. So you don't, you know, I mean, cause I mean, you know, it can have ebb and flow with music depending on whatever it is, but, but yeah, something to pull that pull, keep, keep pulling you along a little bit. Right. You know, those are the things that, that people like us do that, um, people don't necessarily always notice. Yeah, exactly. It goes unrecognized. Yeah. yeah. But as you know, as they say, like if, if, <laughs> it could be quite a fruitless job sometimes being being a mixer because if you did your job really well people don't necessarily always notice that's right so, um, obviously it's great when you do something really really awesome that they're like wow that was really mind-blowing obviously yeah. that's amazing but man if, if nobody really says anything it's like all right i didn't do a bad job right so <laughs> so that's good you know yeah yeah for sure for sure i know it's uh it's it's interesting to put pour a lot of work into something and then they say okay, yeah, yeah, approved, right? And yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> all right then, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I just devoted like my you know my sleeping schedule to this thing, but yeah, right. cool, <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, you just finished up with a film called Kindred. We had Adrian on the director um, just a couple weeks ago. Um, Great guy. Yeah, really awesome really guy. Really talented. I was super happy yeah. to meet him for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, what was your kind of experience? How did the whole thing develop? Um, I guess, you know, how did that go for you? Well, I got a call from Adrian, and um, he um, was having problems, as you guys discussed, mm -hmm. with um, someone leaving him in the lurch there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, um, first of all, most of my work has has come from Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been with Warner Brothers for more than 25 years now. Yeah. Mixing, you know, I started with the WB and then it became the CW and I do a lot of promotional mix work for them. Mm -hmm. And um, and so since moving out to Las Vegas, um, that continued, of course, with, with other clients that I have, but I wanted... Um, to actually start getting more involved in the film community out here. Mm -hmm. And because my thing is, is that, you know, we need to raise the talent pool. I would like to see projects start and finish here. Mm -hmm. A lot of times production companies will come here, shoot, and they'll go post somewhere else in the yeah. country, you know? Yep. Back to Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, Chicago, wherever. Usually the, usually the case, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to... Um, be willing to compromise, you know, and and help um, the the lower budget stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so I suggested, um, you know, here's the other thing too. From from my side, is that when you tell someone that you have a studio at home, mm -hmm. they have this image. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I said, you know, to him that why don't you come over and you know. Mm -hmm. have a look at yep. what you're dealing with right. and then I'll have a look at your project and we can discuss, Yeah, you know? And so he came over and I think I played him a Batwoman trailer. Nice. And <laughs> he happened, he happened to be a fan. Yeah. And so that impacted him rather well. And, and then we got into his film and, and I really liked the story, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you could see that there was a, a, a lot of thought, um, a lot of uh, character development, mm -hmm. and um, and he just didn't hit you over the head at the end, 
Right. Right. Yeah. With with, uh, with the storyline, and so I was, you know, extremely excited to yeah. to get involved. Happened to come at the worst time of year for me because <clears throat> there's a thing we do every year in May. Um, it's called Upfront, and that's where we present all of our shows. So we mix these, mm. you know, uh, four or five minute trailers mm -hmm. to present to all our advertisers in New York. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where we, you know, raise our money yep. every year for the network, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's... And this, is, this is for Warner Brothers? That's, that's yeah, for the CW. For the CW, yeah. And so um, I made a couple of calls about that. I said, what do you think? You think I should do this? And then on top of it, I had... Uh, two other shows going on. I had, um, I do uh, sports documentary work for the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Dodgers, mm -hmm. and both were going on at the same time: baseball and basketball. Mm -hmm. So that's two shows a week, mm -hmm. plus the overload of work at the CW, and then I'm going to take on this film. So Adrian gave me two months basically to work on the film in between. Mm -hmm. And um, and so with that schedule, I figured I could do it. I I pulled in Shane Sharp um, to help me with uh, sound design and sound effects, mm -hmm. and he pulled in a friend of his, Brandon Perry, to um, do the same. And so, uh, you know, we made the schedule. I'll, I'll do a a, a dialogue pre-dub in April, mm -hmm. and you're working on the sound effects and sound design. In, in at the same time, and I'll be ready for it at the beginning of May. Nice. And so that's basically what happened. And then, you know, of course, we did all the Foley here as well. And that, uh, I don't know how much Foley you've done, but that's rather uh, time-consuming and yeah, it tedious. Be. It can absolutely yeah. be. I love doing it. Yeah. I, I, I love doing Foley. But it can definitely be tedious if you want to do it right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that brings the reality in. To the picture, yeah. Foley. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of Foley. In fact, that's, you know, I I was, you know, getting into that a little bit. That's where I started in television recording Foley. That's cool. And um, That's and a I, cool entry point, by the way. It is, yeah. really. And I think, um, you know, for being a re recording mixer, it's important to have all those disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, because... Um, you know, if if you are putting together a team, you know what to ask for. You know what you need, right? Mm -hmm. So you can direct people in that manner. But um, so I happen to be working with with some award winning Foley artists. You know, they would win every year for they were yeah. doing something like Ally McBeal or Chicago Hope wow. back in the day. Yeah. You know, and so they they taught me a lot. Me recording them. You know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, shall I go on with more Absolutely. of the Foley? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, the Foley is, brings in the reality, brings in the customization of the sound design, right? Yeah. Or, or sound period. Mm -hmm. It's not really sound design. It's more reality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the, especially the movement. So, you know, we make passes with, with cotton with nylon mm -hmm. and um you know and and leather if if it's in there mm -hmm. um to 
give it real life because if you notice when people walk around and they're and they're wired up with the microphone right you're you're hearing that movement mm -hmm. um on the microphone and all of a sudden if it goes dry without movement you notice something missing oh yeah so so you know we cover all of that mm -hmm. and that's like the subconscious details almost at absolutely times. Yeah, yeah people really don't notice it um but but i think you'll notice it if it's not there Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Something's missing. Mm -hmm. You know, when, yeah, certainly when you watch something that doesn't have like a, a nice, like Foley base to it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely noticeable. It's like this, it, it feels so empty. Yeah. 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 Very, very. Um, so, yeah. so with regard to the, the sound of the film. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was pretty important. <laughs> oh, of the, of the most important for that, for that film, <laughs> the yeah. The lead being the, a sound designer himself, yeah. right? So, yeah, we we knew that the focus would be there. And um, and so I wanted to, you know, get to the finest of details and then offer some things beyond just reality, right? And, mm -hmm. of course, Charlie did an amazing job with the score. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so... And, and that's another thing, too, is like when you start bringing in um, elements, background elements, you know, generally they have tone, you mm -hmm. know, like a like a ventilation will have a specific tone mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, outdoor ambience could have a certain tone, like mm -hmm. from the roar of, the, of distant traffic or so forth. Right. right. So you have to be very and, and, and if the score is drony, like his was mm -hmm. in places, right? You have to be conscious of the pitch oh, yeah. of, of your backgrounds, right? Yeah, 100%. And um, since we were doing this in surround, um, I asked for, you know, th three, if not four different types of backgrounds. Um, and I'll get into that spatial element in a second. Mm -hmm. But that gave me options as to what I chose to blend with score and so forth. Nice. Right? Yeah. And so sometimes I would pitch mm -hmm. backgrounds to match his score, mm -hmm. or sometimes I would, you know, or 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 pitch it to to not blend to create a little bit of tension. Right. So I was heavily inspired by David Lynch and mm. Lost Highway. Nice. Yeah. That that's one of the films that that really marked me mm -hmm. because he has a tendency to make his environments live. Mm-hmm. You totally. know. Yeah. And. Um, and so, you know, I, I've lived with that one for a long time. And so it affects me to this day. And, you know, I I felt like this was the perfect the, yeah, kind of film. Yeah, it's a good film, time to right? put, put that to, into play. To put yeah. that to use because, you know, we're, we're living in, in one environment, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, so that was a big focus. Yeah. Um, I like the, the, you know, that you thought to thought on that level. Because with with a film like Kindred, that is so you know even the fact that you know of course we know he's a sound designer and whatnot he's a big audiophile and all this and but just I think that you know if if those details were neglected, then I don't think the emphasis of sound would have been felt as much, you know, and in turn the story would not have been as impactful, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like going, getting to that level. Cause yeah, things can be like, um, you, you know, subtly out of tune and just feel weird right. and feel awkward. Mm -hmm. But you know, 
as you stated, you know, you kind of use that to your advantage sometimes mm -hmm. and then you just do what you got to do. Right. You know, well, you know, um, Adrian needs to take a lot of credit too for the sound design. Charlie, of course, gave it a sound, you know, mm. with, with his score, just some amazing work. Um, but Adrian had this plan in his mind, you know, these sounds that, uh, um, you know, helped him remember things from the past, right? Mm. And the, these, the coding and the crypto nature of it, right? Mm. And um, so it was interesting because when I was doing the pre-dub, um, I wasn't hearing the stuff from the apartments that he listens mm. to, right? And I kept hearing this opera song being played over and over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking... Where is this going? I, I feel like things are empty. And then I then I started, after I finished the dialogue, I brought in the, um, I can go into more detail on the dialogue if you'd like. Absolutely. Be, before we go on or I'll, just let, I'll finish this thought. Okay. Um, so then I, I, I did a uh, music pass against the dialogue. And I just was feeling like something's missing. This is... This is not working, you know, mm -hmm. this is, something's not happening. And um, so, you know, then, then I started blending in the opera with Charlie's score and, it, mm. okay, that started to make sense. And then these elements from the apartments, mm -hmm. they started to get introduced. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it started to really make sense to me, like, wow, this is, <laughs> this yeah. is beyond what I expected, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the storyline. And, you know, I think that Adrian was amazing in preparation mm -hmm. for me. He made my job so easy. Many times I'll get projects and they're scattered all over the place, you know. Oh, yeah. You'll get sound effects on music tracks and music tracks won't yeah. be lined up, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you got to shift them one one track or another so mm -hmm. that they're oh, <laughs> in yeah. stereo pairs. It's crazy, right? Yeah. But um, I think that going into a project of that magnitude, um, the more the editor can prep for you, uh, the better so the better product they're going to get back from you because Absolutely. you're going to spend far less hours, you know, organizing mm -hmm. things because that's that stuff has to eventually it has to get I've, into your template. Right? Yeah, I, I've I've yeah. Uh, I've spent a day just organizing a, a, uh, an unorganized editor's timeline. Yeah. It's so frustrating, it's isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was, you know, the story kind of unfolded as I was working. It was it was really, really cool. That is cool. Yeah. Kind of a cool evolution of mm -hmm. it. And appropriate, too. You know, yeah. I think by default, it it's almost like it was supposed to be that way, but that's just the way it worked out. Yeah. It's really cool. You know, and then in the process, too, of um, the... So, so di let, let's start with the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm mixing in 5.1, and there's one thing that really bugs me, is the dialogue's in the center channel mm -hmm. most of the time, mm -hmm. right? And you hear on some mixes where the background will just drop out on that center channel while every, you know, mm -hmm. while the rest of the channels are playing some other, you know, music right. or sound effects or backgrounds or whatever. That really bugs me. <clears throat> So I took Isotope, Ambience Match, 
Nice. And I created. I love that tool. I, oh, yeah. oh my god. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I created, um, you know, a, an apartment background mm -hmm. that I could then fill in. Nice. The gaps in the in the dialogue. So I like that. Yeah. That center channel is smooth all the way. All the way. All the yep. way through, right? So that was a painstaking piece of work there. Yeah. The other thing too is that the lead was not recorded as well as the others. Hmm. So at that point, that's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's a little frustrating. Um, he was a little low, so it brought the noise floor up, and so there was a lot of, you know, having to noise reduce mm -hmm. a lot of his stuff, and or adding noise underneath the other pieces of dialogue so that they sound like they're coming from the same place. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a huge thing for me. That yeah, everything needs to sound like it's coming from the same place. Yeah, totally right? agree. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're in a particular scene, so, um, you know the dialogue was was uh, a little challenging, but you know, and that's you find that too on. And this is no knock, but it's just a lower budget, and it's mm -hmm. his schedule is run and gun, as he oh, said yeah. in his eleven days they shot yeah. that thing, and I mean that's yes. yeah. so I can imagine that. You know, people were more reactionary rather yeah. than, you know. Absolutely. You know, really getting everything to the T. So, um, in fact, Adrian even told me that, are we getting him okay? Um, he said to the, his, his sound person. And um, and I guess she said, uh, yeah, everything's fine. Mm. Uh, I don't think he was yeah. confident that he was getting exactly what he wanted but look we made it work you know mm -hmm. that's 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 what we do right yeah that's why that's why that's why they pay us <laughs> to, to make it work yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely no i've um the struggle is real i've been in that situation so many times and and yeah the dialogue having a smooth dialogue track th throughout this scene the entire time a, a constant noise floor is of like the highest importance to me. Yeah, because it's such a it's such a primary focus. It really. And is. when you start hearing the the noise floor change, there's I mean it's just it's nails on a chalkboard. It's terrible. It really is. Yeah, I mean the dialogue is the story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The music is the mood. Yeah. And energy. Mm -hmm. And everything else is. <laughs> Yeah. Fluff in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in a lot of in a lot of more kind of lower budget um, uh, films. You know, they're not always, and this is this this isn't a knock to whoever recorded the the onset audio or anything. If you're listening, I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that because it just happens in high pressure situations where things just get overlooked. Yeah. Um, but a lot of things, and something that um, coming from a music world, I think really helped me on set is knowing how how to how 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 far is too far when writing your preamp level and things like that. Your gain because. Uh, you know, if you have one, you if you have one channel cranked way up, goosing the hell out of it, and then another one that, you know, that that isn't. I mean, it's, you're inevitably going to have different sound floors. You know, right. and, and a lot of onset mixers, if they started in in that world, there's a lot of people who get into film through that position. You know, from like a PA to like sound or something, a boom op, don't necessarily have those core fundamentals. Yeah, you know. Um, so, you know, it gets to, it gets to post and like, there's so much more work that needs to be done. And that's just, it's a common oversight. It just happens, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, you don't, you don't know you're doing it wrong until you see that you're doing it wrong. Right. 
you know that that's a very good point and yeah and it's important i think for someone in that position to sit in our position mm-hmm. you know yeah at least a few times you know oh yeah to know what we need yeah right absolutely like oh god i didn't think it sounded that bad yeah yeah <laughs> well you know it's like when you start isolating things and cleaning things up it's like everything can stick out like a sore thumb so yeah it is important that's right yeah it's important to know both sides. You know, there's a lot of like post guys that have no idea what it's like to be out on set, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's just as important. I, you know, I'm definitely a post-production minded person. That's that's my happy place, you know, being in the studio mixing. But I mean, um, I've been out on set a bunch of times and it's, I'm only the richer for it, you know, when it comes yeah. to mixing. Yeah, it really helps. Yeah. I'm not a fan of being on a set. It's stressful. It really is. Yeah. It's stressful. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. The hours are long. Very right? long. Yeah. Um, you can't take a break when you want to take a break. You take right. a break when, you know, the production yeah. crew wants to take a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not know, a huge fan away. of it either. I mean, if I had a choice to either work in post or production, there's no way I would ever choose production. I would always go post, you know? Yeah. I just feel like um, you have you know, the creative angle on things, right? Yeah. And I love sound for that reason because sound is generally the last part of the whole production. Mm -hmm. Everybody's excited that things are wrapping up, you Mm -hmm. know. Even the actors, they come in and they do their ADR and they get to see how the cut has come together after months of, you know, waiting. Anticipation. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, the director and the composer they get to see it all come together and yeah it's a great time yeah i I love this part of it i really do yeah um and i and it's certainly one it's certainly a time that sound is held to a higher standard or of higher importance yeah because that's another thing on set is a lot of times the sound is always taking a back seat in 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 favor of uh the shot getting the right shot Yeah. yeah Which is the bane of every sound production sound mixer's existence, <laughs> you right, know, because right. it's like, well, you know, um, y- all I'm getting is your camera noise in my microphone. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do you want me so, to do here? Well, we know we're gonna re-record that one, aren't we? Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> crazy, you know. Yeah. But it's like at a certain point, there's 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 nothing you can really do at a certain point because the director's gonna be like, dude, sorry, like we got to do that. This yeah, yeah, we got to move so, on, right? Yeah, we got to go. Yeah, time yeah. is definitely money. You know, and and on on set, it's yeah, it's stressful, man. Well, it's you know, crazy. I I mean, they I think the director needs to think of it also as are we going to get the same performance re-recording this in a studio as we will here yeah. when that actor is standing in front of the other side? You right. know, usually never. Usually never. It's yeah. really really tough. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with some of the best mm-hmm. in that situation, and. Um, you know, some of them, uh, look, it comes down to that musicality again, mm-hmm. you know, where they get those three beeps and they're in and they f- they feel the rhythm of their delivery and they mm-hmm. can replicate it. Yeah. But those who don't have that musical musicality, they'll, they'll blow it. And then you have to do this crazy edit to make it work. And yeah. it's not, it's not quite the same. It's not yeah. ideal. Yeah. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, um, let's, um. I'd, I'd like I'd love to talk to your talk about your history with uh, with Warner Brothers and specifically CW and all that. How did you sure. kind of because I you know you know you got in through TV. Is that 
was it always Warner Brothers you were with? Or? Okay, so after um, working with Herbie, and um, Herbie was an interesting character. He could stay up for two days at a time, if not wow. longer. And um, he would fight sleep. And so um, I always felt like um, anything I was doing there, um, and it was a lot, a lot of work, and I didn't sleep much, I would find myself falling asleep while driving home and wow. this kind of stuff, you know. And so I always felt like um, whatever I did there was helping, you know, his thing along, but not necessarily doing anything for my career, mm -hmm. you know. It was wonderful experience working with him and just an absolute amazing musician, as everyone knows. Mm -hmm. But this guy could sit down at the piano play a part to an entire song and then go back and lay a string part over the top of it. Yeah. I mean, there's like one take, one take, you know? Herbie Hancock she, is one of the greatest musicians yeah, to ever live. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of my absolute best musical experiences was seeing Herbie and his group um, in a nightclub in um, Palos Verdes in mm -hmm. LA. Mm -hmm. I met, um, let's see, uh, Wallace Roney, who was the stand-in for Miles Davis. He mm. replaced him, trumpet player. Mm -hmm. But uh, Tony Williams on drums, Ron Carter on bass, wow. yeah. uh, Wayne Shorter, saxophone, yeah. Herbie, and um, wow. Wallace, yeah. And the concert that night was just amazing. But I'm sitting in the green room with all of them. It's like, this is... That's insane. This is jazz <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's huge. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was time to move on. And... Um, one of my friends hooked me up with the Disney Channel, and I was uh, um, my m m when I first moved to Los Angeles in what was it? Um, let's see, nineteen. Wow, how far back am I going? Like eighty-three, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. I was substitute teaching mm. to to make some money and then playing in bands. Right, mm -hmm. wasn't making a lot of money. Right. Um, and, uh, where am I going with this? That's an edit right there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, let me think about this. Just kind of getting in with the Disney channel and kind of yeah, getting yeah. into it. All right. Yeah. And so, um, one of my band members actually introduced me, um, to someone at the Disney channel and I took a night gig, a graveyard shift where I was, a uh, like a tape op, but a switcher. You know, I would actually play the programs mm -hmm. and then switch to the next and put on a commercial pod and yeah. all this stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I was switching at night. That led to me meeting someone else that uh, um, got me a gig at um, the uh, integration department uh, for the WB. Mm. And from there, that led me into uh, meeting the people on the lot at Warner Brothers uh, with the WB. Wow. So I got in in the second year with the WB. Um, I had prior experience um, with that Foley work and ADR work at a mm -hmm. place called Third Street Sound. Um, but this, I felt like, you know, Disney Channel and then um, WB was, I was headed the right direction, right? And so um, once I made it there to the lot, I was, I had just missed a full-time job by two weeks. Mm -hmm. the, last, the last mixer was hired, but I was going to be the fill-in guy. Mm -hmm. And I got along great. 
with Julie Biondi is her name. Great lady. She was um, head of post there. And as soon as she'd call me, I would go. Boom, I'd take off. Yeah. So if, if you have any thought about getting into this business, when you get an opportunity, that's it. Your, your life go do it. is go do it. You, yeah. s- you never say no. Right. As soon as you say no, that's it. They find someone else. Yeah. And that's the guy taking yep. your place. Yeah. So I would jump. I'd be there. You know, I lived in um, Hermosa Beach at the time, which is uh, over the hill. And, and WB's in Burbank. So that's mm-hmm. quite a drive, especially through traffic. Absolutely. But I would be there as fast as humanly possible when she would call. Mm-hmm. And so I would always get the call. Um, and then it got to a point where, you know, our nights were expanding. We didn't, we didn't used to be on five nights a week. It, they'd have like Monday and Tuesday and then they'd add other days. And, and so the workload would start to increase. And I was working like nonstop seven days a week, you mm-hmm. know, m- m- one, two, three months in a row. Yeah. And it got to the point where um, the the legal authorities of, of California came down on them and said, no more permalance employees, you need to hire these people, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I overheard that um, my immediate supervisor was told by um, one of the higher-ups that do not let him leave the lot <laughs> until he's signed. Nice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so that's how that came about. And um, I started with the WB in 1996 as that freelancer. And then I believe I took the job in, in 98 full time. Wow. Um, yeah. But I started in 96. So, yeah, it's been more than 25 years now um, driving onto that lot. And, um, so then, of course, the WB lasted for 10 years, um, met a lot of amazing people. A lot of uh, uh, actors on those shows have become, you know, movie mm-hmm. stars. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, Warner Brothers hangs on to their talent, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, from there, uh, 2005, uh, the CW was conceptualized. Mm-hmm. And... I mixed the very first promo for the CW. It was wow. off the lot. It was secretive. Nobody knew about it mm. of its uh, of its coming existence. Uh, Lou Goldstein, Bob Bibb were uh, co-presidents of marketing. Uh, Matt Fife was uh, producing this promo, and I was the mixer. And basically, it announced the uh, coming CW. Wow! So I have that honor of. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's the first promo. That's a cool one. Yeah. That's a cool story. And so that that uh, launched in 2005, and I've been with them ever since. And, uh, you know, it's really great company to work for. I bet. The artistic level and, you know, approach to their, their promo making is great. Uh, Howard Schneider is the... Um, head of our department um, operations mm-hmm. and um, senior vice president. And he's just, he, you know, it's top-down mentality, right, mm-hmm. always. 
and he just lays a great framework for 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 all of us to um, do our work and nice and be creative. You know? Nice, yeah, that's great. Um, what an awesome opportunity! I'm sure it was, and what it certainly grew into. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I go back to like Buffy the Vampire Slayer before Savannah. Wow. I mean the weigh-ins. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Fox, he got his start there at the WB, yeah. you know, and, and Seventh Heaven. Yeah. And Seventh Heaven actually came over to the CW. Right. And now we're doing all these superhero shows, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, CW is really taking the superhero thing yeah. a long ways. Well, it's, it's, cool. it's Greg Berlanti, you know, he's <laughs> he's like the guy, right? Mm -hmm. And we have a pretty nice deal with him. And so, yeah. um, very talented and produces a lot of great stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. And... And the popularity of these shows, you know, they go worldwide and... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> there, there's so many of those shows that have just mega fans. Absolutely. I think about Supernatural. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know how many promos <laughs> What a makes? worldwide sensation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No, that... that The CW has been super, super successful. Um, and And I almost forgot that it was kind of... It was like it was the WB that kind of that essentially morphed into the CW. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay, so the C is CBS right. and W is Warner Brothers, and so it's a you mm -hmm. know, kind of a 50-50 deal there. Okay. Yeah. That's how the C and the W, CW. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So um, take me through some of your 13 Emmys that you've won. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what are the, that's, I mean, I that'd mean, be a long, that'd on. be a long, what are your favorite ones? Well, well, let me just say this, that, yeah. you know, you could never expect something like that, right? right. You, yeah. Nobody has that planned, right? It's amazing. But, yeah. but, um, you know what it comes down to really is meeting the right people. And that's, that's the interesting thing about this business, right? Because mm. when you get in with a certain group of people, they stick with you, right? Yeah. And one thing I'm known for is that, they could call me any time of the night, mm -hmm. two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and I'll answer the phone. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I should get into that part of my schedule, but I have had insane schedules I for long periods of time mm -hmm. because I never say no. Mm -hmm. But these Emmys, um, most of them are for sports documentary and, uh, you know, with my my work with the Lakers and... Dodgers. Mm -hmm. um, there's one in there for the Sports Shrines of L.A., where they talk about the Forum and Staples Center, and mm -hmm. you know the Rose Bowl, and yeah, different uh, venues in in Los Angeles, and you know, and their historic nature, and the Staples Center and its importance of the de development of downtown. Mm -hmm. You know how it revitalized downtown, and mm -hmm. they get into that, but they also get into you know, some of the moments that happened there, how the Lakers won that ch the championship that first year when they moved from the Forum because the Forum was a loved venue, right? right and right. and um, so they said the best way to make the fans, you know, like the like the new venue is <laughs> to win a championship. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's always a good way for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's that, um, you know, it's uh, like... Backstage Lakers, backstage Dodgers. They they both shows have one um, sports series post produced, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I guess my favorite one 
out of the bunch is my personal Emmy for um, sound mixing. Amazing. What what yeah. project was that for? That was for Backstage Dodgers. It was Vin Scully's uh, final broadcast. Hmm. And um, that's what I submitted. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, that won me individual achievement in mix sound mixing. That's amazing. Yeah. What an honor. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, you know, the others are mainly like team awards, you know, where everyone who plays a significant role in the production mm-hmm. um, gets an Emmy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I've been lucky. But but touching on the, you know, becoming part of a team, um, I was given the opportunity to uh, mix for UFC. There was a show called Ultimate Insider. Oh, yeah. Definitely not. And they were, they were five episodes in and they wanted to hire a new mixer. And I got the call. And this is an interesting story. I said, "Yeah, I could, I can mix from home, and you know, I'll submit the mix the next day." They said, "No, you can't do that. Hmm. You need a studio." I said, "Well, I don't, but here, I'll bring my studio to you, and um, we'll see how it goes, and we'll call this thumb drive here the internet." Mm-hmm. And so I took my studio there, my portable studio, a couple of Genelex and my computer and yeah. everything I needed. And they hung some some blankets over the windows, you know, for for sound. Oh yeah. And um and they gave me the project and they left for the night. They mm. came back the next morning. I hit play and like five, six seconds in he goes, stop, stop, stop. I stop. And the producer looked over to his co producer and said you see, this is how the show should sound. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so I knew that uh, I was onto something good, right? Yeah. So we got through it. Great. Delivered. Um, I went back the next week. Everything went the same. We, you know, and then we got to know each other a little more and um, talked about approach on the show and so forth. And basically it was just a big promo for UFC, mm-hmm. right? And um, they said, okay, you can work from home. And 195 episodes, five years wow. of mixing that show. Wow. Plus, I did you know Road to the Octagon, yeah, from all, all those, angles, all the, the year-end specials, all that stuff. Nice, you know. And um, now we're getting back in the fold again. One okay. of the guy. Go- okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. One of the guys who was reviewing my mixes there for that company. So I was working for a third party who was producing these shows for the UFC, Positive mm-hmm. Image Video, based in uh, Santa Monica. Great, great group there. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the guys left. He came out here to Mike Pacheco, um, came out to uh, Vegas, and he, he called me up. You know, it's it's one of those things where people don't forget if you do a good job, if you're always there for them, if you always deliver. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's always important. And um, and then the very first guy I met at that company left and went to run Spectrum Sports, Brian DeClue. Okay. And he pulled me in to start mixing uh, the backstage shows. Yeah, the Lakers, team, the, the, Lakers the, and Dodgers. Yeah, the LA teams, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's important to establish these relationships and keep a great vibe mm-hmm. and always deliver. And yeah. You know, that's kind of what I'm known for. So, you know, these shows, they would give me 
sometimes they deliver to me at 11 p.m. and I'd still have it ready for them at yeah. 9 a.m. when they walked in the door. Yeah. So you just yeah. got to do it. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, sound is always the very last thing and they need it, it mm -hmm. yesterday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. It can be aggravating at times. And I know there's been, there's, I've, I've had many nights like that too, where it's just, you got to do it. You yeah. don't have a choice. That's right. You're not yeah. going to get a call back if you don't. Drink a lot of coffee and yeah. make it work. Yeah. You know? Just shaking by the morning from all the caffeine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, um, Stockton, California, huh? Yeah. How was that growing <laughs> up? Well, you know, I had a good childhood, actually, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of friends. Um, um, my family is still there, actually, all of them. Nice. Uh, they left, you know, to go do various things, but my brother became a chief on the fire department. And, okay. Um, my sister got involved in um, adult education uh, for the mentally challenged. I'm trying to think of the right yeah. political word, but mm -hmm. just uh, a wonderful person and, and really uh, cares about people. Nice. And, um, and uh, my other brother... Um, is a businessman. <laughs> he, a businessman. He moves from one thing to the next. Okay. I, can't, I can't keep up with him. Yeah. But, kind yeah. of an entrepreneur type? Yeah. Nice. And so my mother's still living. She's 93. Wow. And my father nice. died. My God, it's been so long, 40 years ago. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but he was a, he played a big part in my, you know, musical interests. Was I he a musician himself? Um, he dabbled a little bit mm -hmm. uh, um, on the acoustic guitar. But, you know, I had a huge interest. Uh, I was a trumpet player. I started playing trumpet in the fourth grade. And oh, nice. I played trumpet all the way through college. That was my major instrument. Mm. But I, I joined a drum and bugle corps uh, when I was 15 years old and traveled the country um, that, that one summer mm -hmm. and um, met a lot of good friends there that I had for for a long long time um and we started a latin band together and i so i started playing trumpet uh professionally at 16 years old playing wow. gigs and so my father he liked the music because of you know my father being a rodriguez and um you know spoke fluent spanish and mm -hmm. loved mexican music and and so he would like to come and hear us, but I think also it was like he wanted to make sure I was going to be okay being that young. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. We were all pretty young, actually. You mm -hmm. know, my my drummer friend was same age, but, you know, we uh, we were pretty popular traveling yeah. up and down the state of California. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild getting into, uh, getting in, playing in bars and all this stuff. I did that when I was a teenager as well. They kind of sneak me in the back door type yeah. of thing. And, um. The bar, <laughs> the bartender just kind of looks at you like, mm, yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> just nobody says anything and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you hired us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, those are those are good times for sure. Yeah, love it. Yeah. So what? Um, I guess what brought you to Vegas then? Like, because you kind of settled down here. Vegas. <clears throat> well, after I met my wife in '98, we. Got married, uh, well, we got engaged two weeks after meeting, mm. and three three months after we were married. It's been twenty three years now. Nice, <laughs> yeah, 
She's wonderful, Yvonne. Yeah, I've, I've met her once. She's a very yeah. nice lady. Yeah. And um, she's a huge support in what I do. Mm -hmm. Never gives me any grief and spending hours in the studio. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. that's important to a partnership. It's very important. <clears throat> I'm lucky there as well. Thanks, Lacey. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um so we decided that uh, we wanted to maybe well yvonne had a um a boutique in beverly hills mm -hmm. uh, um, off robertson there and um the we were importing merchandise from paris we'd go over there three four times a year mm. to buy merchandise and that was fun yeah I bet. and um we got broken into one night everything was stolen wow and so we said okay maybe it's time to get out of this business we closed that and we decided to come out to vegas to buy some investment property okay and that was uh, 2003 and in our search for uh the property our agent said oh you're in the boutique business clothing business you should look at boca park okay and so we decided to go take a look and we met the leasing agent and signed a lease that day, which was wow. unbelievable that we made such a move. That meant we had to move here. Mm -hmm. You know, we just kind of just jumped in. Yeah. And that uh, business, we had as many as six stores open um, wow. at two, in, in 2008. And then, you know, the whole crash yeah. of the economy, we closed a lot of the stores. Um, and, uh, you know, went through all that, and the business ended up folding in 2016, and now she's moved into luxury real estate where she she loves it. You oh, know? nice. Yeah. <clears throat> Less headache with employees and yeah. the travel back and forth to buy merchandise. And, oh, yeah, you know, it's for just sure. It's a whole different—that's a beast. Oh, yeah. But that, that's kind of what brought us out here. And um, But I, I've always been commuting back and forth to Burbank. Mm -hmm. I was lucky in that— um, the CW allowed me to um, work, well, actually WB, it started before the CW, and in, in through into the CW, they allowed me to, to work double, double, single. So I work okay. a double Monday, double Tuesday, a shift on Wednesday, and I, you drive home. I come back. So I'm Thanks. actually home four days out of the year. But this past year, of course, with the pandemic... I've yeah. been working from home. Solid from home. Yeah, yeah. And I love my studio, of course, because yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful studio. It's a hidden gem in Vegas for sure. It is. I haven't really pushed it too much because I'm I'm busy mm -hmm. um, with with my workload, and yeah. um, but there's going to come a point where, you know, I'm going to put it out there for yeah for the rest of the world. Yeah. No, I think when, when that happens, um, you're going to get a pretty big influx of business. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's a great environment. You know, I think people um, like to feel at home yeah. where they work, mm -hmm. right? And this being a home environment, plus I have, you know, the courtyard out here and uh, the production room, mm -hmm. which also doubles as an ADR VO booth, complete isolation. Yeah. Everything's networked. Really comfortable. Yeah. Beats, beats walking into a building. Oh, yeah. You know, there's so many studios that feel very, very sterile and kind of lifeless. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it just kind of seems like, a, you know, there's just not a lot of, you know, the, uh, 
your surroundings are so important in the work that you produce. Yeah. Um, and it is very, very comfortable in here. You got these great chairs, um, these great big uh, reclining sofas. Yeah. Yeah. The theater chairs. Yeah, yeah. The theater chairs. Well, you know, this room wasn't always like this. This was a music room before. Okay. I had a I had a VO booth here in this corner. Okay. Built. It was a room, you know, inside of a room. Mm. Um, and I was doing music in here. Nice. Um, I had a lot of, you know, vintage or remake of vintage gear in mm -hmm. here. A lot of API and, nice. um, you know, all kinds of different things, compressors and um, hardware mm -hmm. to where, you know, I had like a $10,000 mic chain and, you know, nice. vocal chain. And then, you know, you, you put a vocalist in front of it and it sounds like a record already, mm -hmm. you know, when you haven't even <clears throat> touched a knob, it's because it's passing through all that circuitry, oh, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and you just can't, <laughs> you can't duplicate that no, all digitally. Can't. On no, a Pro Tools rig, you know? You know, there's, there's, uh, digital has come so far. And, you know, I have some, uh, some amazing plugins that really give you a lot of that warmth. Um, but it's never gonna, it's never gonna match the natural saturation you get from gear. Yeah. It's, it's just never going to. That's a physical process that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing, you know, how they, they, how they emulate it, you know, in a lot of digital plugins nowadays, um, where, you know, hardware is not necessarily always consistent. It, it varies just a little bit and, mm -hmm. you know, slight differences in voltages and things like that, little micro little things that are happening that create, that create like a dynamic sound, you mm -hmm. know, like something that's uniquely itself. Um, and they put that into plugins. Now I was watching not long ago this video where they were comparing the difference between an offline bounce and a real-time bounce. And so they would do an <laughs> offline bounce and a real-time bounce and put it right on top of each other and then, you know, phase reverse the one to see if it cancels out, you know. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that it wasn't the offline versus real-time that, that was uh, interesting. It was the fact that regardless of how they did it it was always like you would flip the you would flip the face and you would hear all kinds of audio so it's like you know they were like oh my gosh it's it's vastly different you know it's what they automatically first thought it's like because if it was the same obviously it would cancel right out yeah um but they found that it was actually the plugins themselves that were, were trying to replicate those tiny little changes and everything and that's what was causing it the real time in the audio, there was the real time in the offline, were completely the same. So there's that. I've always kind of wondered that, which I thought was interesting. It's not always been that way, though. No, I think <clears> no, yeah, it's, I th gotten it's, better. it's come a long way. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know, more when I was more focused on music, you know, outside of my my mixing work, um, I would bounce a vocal. Let's say I wanted. I, I had a partnership with a guy in Los Angeles and, you know, I'm working in Vegas, so we would share files, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I remember this one vocal we were working on and I did a bounce and I did a record, right? Just a real-time record. Mm -hmm. uh, I swear that real-time record sounded way better. I've than, always felt than, like they do. The yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess <clears throat> it's just a recent thing where offline bounces come a long ways. Um, I think they were using Logic, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, with Pro Tools and their offline bounce nowadays, that's how I bounce everything now. 
Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah. well, except for for the film, mm. um, it's it's real time, yeah. and I deliver individual tracks. Mm. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because so, oh, so you so you record in, you just you just bus internally. You just print tracks internally and then just export. That's right. Yeah, it's usually yeah. that's usually a good. Yeah, way to go I just it. I go in. I actually go into the audio files folder, mm -hmm. and I grab those. Files. Just grab those files. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing too is you know on a like a ninety minute feature, um, and you want to punch in, the timing could be a little bit different on a bounce. There could be a little bit of delay, right? Right. Latency yeah. in there, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go in to make a punch, and then you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, on a 5-1 track, you know, a click or a pop or something, something's not lining up, mm -hmm. you know, so, yep. so if you're going to punch in real time, I think your track should have been recorded in real time. That's, yeah. that's what I do. Yeah. I think that's completely valid mm. for maybe, sure. Maybe I'm a little bit old school anal, but I don't know. No, I think, no, I think that's perfectly valid. I think it depends just on the medium, you know? Yeah. For something like that, it's, it's probably... It's it's wise to just you know bus yeah. internally and print mm -hmm. the tracks. Yeah, if it's a three and a half minute song or a thirty second promo, sixty second promo, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's not a big deal then. Yeah, you bounce it in. Anything with like a lot of anything with a long running time. Oh, I've got like you know eighty tracks of yeah of audio. Yeah, uh, it's going to be hard. <laughs> for my computer to process it properly. Right. You know, it's just. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it makes you wonder. I've always been really skeptical of it, so I thought that was really interesting. But um, I'm glad you um looked into that, you know, because yeah, I've always felt there were discrepancies, but I guess it has gotten better. You know, I think, you know, I trust Pro Tools' offline bounce now that it has now, um, much more than like Logic or something. Like I, I don't really use Logic too much anymore. I used to use that for all my music. Whenever, whenever I would composition. compose mm -hmm. composition, yeah. Um, but anymore, like um, it's becoming like I I just use Pro Tools for everything now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to use Logic as well. I started on uh, my very first uh, DAW was Digital Performer One. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice. In fact, my band used. I used to take a. You remember the old Max? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. I used to take that on stage, uh, send the click to the drummer. Nice. <laughs> and I was using Digital Performer 1 yeah. for that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ableton is great for that type of stuff nowadays, which I've I've played around with a little bit, but it's like a completely different, uh, it's a completely different mindset oh, with really? Ableton. Yeah. yeah. I don't know it. It's, it's different, you know, coming from like a, a more traditional linear DAW, mm -hmm. Ableton is is much different. Things things are in like blocks, you know. So you have like blocks as loops. So you record like a loop, it becomes like a block, and you kind of arrange it that way. And you, you can know, trigger certain things. But at certain Digital times. Performer did that too. It was called Chunks. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you could. So that's a section. You know, like here's your verse, here's your chorus, here's your bridge, whatever. And then you you can. Uh, you know, arrange things, right? Um, you know, mm -hmm. A section, B section, chorus, A section, B section, chorus. You know, you can arrange mm. the song that way quicker. Okay. But yeah. I always felt like, and here we go, back to over the bar. Mm -hmm. You're missing over the bar at that point, yeah, right? Because absolutely. you're you're 
you know, everything's in a section mm -hmm. here, here. And I always felt like from one section to the next, there was just something not right. Mm -hmm. So I would, yeah, I'd arrange it that way. Mm -hmm. But then I would make sure that I had other parts that went over the bar. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I am like writing music that way. So even, you know, just, just with MIDI, you know? I'll just mm -hmm. do my MIDI performance or whatever it is, and then I can kind of arrange it that way. I just double that up however many times, you know, duplicate it however many times I need to, and then just do the next part, and then I'll kind of arrange it that way, just kind of build it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's always nice to have that one, that one track that's that's going over the bar. Right. You know, it, it, it feels fluid. like it seals everything together. Absolutely. Yeah. It's important, you know, and and I'll even if I do that, what you're saying, where I loop a MIDI performance. Mm -hmm. I may go in and move things ever so slightly Same. Yeah. right to where, you know, bar eight to bar one or bar four to bar five, Yeah, you know, wherever your loop is, mm -hmm. um, feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. I, I, and, and I don't know, I mean, maybe it's all in my head, but it does feel like when it's, when it's duplicated like that, it's like maybe you're sensing something. I think maybe it's just... I don't think it's in your head. You don't I don't think, think it's in, in your head. No, yeah. no. It. I think it's real because you know, it comes down to performance again, right? Yeah. And the breathability. Nobody almost. plays the same four bars every four exactly. bars. Exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's great. You know, a lot of times I will just kind of consolidate like all of those 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 duplicated MIDI loops, and yeah, go in, mess with it a little bit, massage the timing and and whatnot, just to give it that realistic feel yeah yeah it's super yeah. very it's very very important i mean you we can talk about drummers for instance i mean those would be those would be probably the um closest to wanting to play the same four bars mm. every time right yeah or eight bars or whatever it is um but there's variance with them as well. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. You know, you're not going to hit the hi hat the exact same exactly every single time. And the the and the hi hat with the snare, the you know, it's just not the the timing's going to be just ever so slightly different. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what's human. But that's what's human, and that's what we yeah. need, right? Yeah, it's nice, you know, if and it's I'm, based on what the other musicians are playing as mm -hmm. well, right? following so, following yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, speaking of Logic again, they 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 came up with this thing called Drummer, and it's actually really intuitive, and it's it's nice to get ideas just down. So basically, what you'll do is you have the plugin, um, you pick what type of drum pattern you want, and then there's like a a um, what is that? Uh, not not an X Y not an XY curve, but it's basically it has like all the different, like, you know, how simple or technical you want it, like left and right. And then how loud or quiet you want it. And you can kind of just float uh -huh. like a, a thing in the middle and you can kind of find it and it'll create like a natural pattern for you. So like a quantization sensitivity for, you can for do all timing. That too. You can do all that too. Um, but what's nice <clears throat> about that is it automatically just plays loops that were, were recorded by an actual drummer. Mm -hmm. So you get that uh -huh. realistic feel to it and then you can adjust slightly, um, you know, if you want uh, more fills or less fills or, you know, if you want them to play a little bit louder, a little bit quieter. And it's super, it's really, really nice and it really helps that, that live drummer feel, you know. Sounds cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really good feature that came out with a few years back. I wish 
you know, but there, there's there's plenty of other plugins that do stuff like that. But it was nice that that was stock. Yeah. In Logic. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, we're probably kind of reeling in on it here. I did want to touch a little bit more detailed on your studio because mm -hmm. um, I think it's a it's a really really unique place for Las Vegas. And yeah. so, just kind of take us through your setup, if you don't mind, and just kind of tell every I guess everybody the awesomeness that you have going on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it it is state of the art, actually. Um, so. After realizing that, um, you know, being a music studio here, I had some pretty stiff competition here in the Palm Studio and, mm -hmm. you know, a couple other studios that have been established here for a while. Yeah. And, you know, most of my work was post-production work. It's paying me money above and way above and beyond what music was paying and, mm -hmm. and less hours, you know. So I figured... You know, I need to convert this room into a post-production mix room, true and true. Right? Yep. And so I started looking into different systems and then, you know, the whole Dolby Atmos thing was starting to, to take off. Yeah. And I got into a long conversation with Jose Castellan over at um, Dolby and, you know, he was kind of the champion of it there for a while to, to really get it out there. And, and, um, you know, he encouraged me to, you know, take the leap of faith and, and, and do it. And so, you know, I <laughs> broke apart the vocal booth and made a big heap pile out here in mm -hmm. the, in, in the courtyard and, and went to work. Um, and, you know, painstakingly went through um, the DART, Dolby Atmos, let me see, Dolby Atmos Digital Rendering Tool. Okay. D-A-R-D-T uh, with Jose. And we, you know, they took the dimensions of the room and, you know, where the door was, where windows were, if there were any. Obviously, that's my window that I kept, but mm -hmm. I built the box over it. Mm -hmm. And um, and we had to calculate, um, you know, levels um, from different speakers, you know, and he gave me a range of speakers that I could um, pick. And I originally wanted to use powered monitors. And then I realized, well, if I'm going to set up, you know, basically 11.1, .1, it's actually 7.1.4, mm -hmm. uh, four on the ceiling and seven around and the point one being the sub. Yeah. Um, I would have to run power to each of the speakers and, yeah. you know, I'd have to turn them on and off uh, or, you know, it was going to be a big mess. Mm -hmm. And so um, the real way to do it is to use power amps and passive speakers and mm -hmm. JBL. Wow. Oh yeah. You know, these, these, the seven series monitors, I have 708s around seven, seven Oh eights and four, um, five series on the, uh, ceiling and I'm using crown networked amps mm -hmm. and so um, they are you know 300 watts a channel these amps and they are blue link um, and the rest of my system is Dante uh, so that required a conversion from Dante protocol to um, the blue link mm 
mm-hmm. uh, to get to the to get to my speakers. Um, the one thing about the JBLs is that they translate very well into uh, larger rooms, movie theaters, because a lot of their systems are using, you know, JBL. Yeah, their JBL systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I talk to a lot of different mixers, um, guys who work in, you know, the big rooms in in LA, and and um, they really like the JBLs. Mm-hmm. So I went with JBL on my monitoring. Um, okay, as far as the Dante goes, the only thing that was available at the time, this is pre-Matrix from from Avid Pro mm-hmm. Tools, mm-hmm. Um, were these focus rights. Um, and so... The, I, the Red Net or... The, the Red Net, yeah. yeah. So I have uh, two HD 32Rs and two older Red Net 5s, all producing 32 voices each. You need a minimum of 128 voices mm-hmm. to be Dolby certified. And they're all running on Cat6 um, nice. cable. So, you know, there's there are no analog cables here, no yeah. noises introduced into yeah. the system. That's nice. Um, I have um, a little um, RedNet uh, X2P in my VO room slash ADR room slash Foley room mm-hmm. um, that's networked. It's completely, you know, it's like 20 feet away. You got to walk outside and then inside. So it's complete isolation. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where my rendering mastering unit sits for when I want to print Dolby mixes. It's over there. So actually sound starts here in my Pro Tools system, leaves this building, goes into the next building, mm-hmm. into that system, comes back in here, and I'm monitoring in real time without nice. without latency. It's amazing. That is really it's, it's, awesome. It's super fast. Yeah. So I have two networks here. My Cat5 network for, you know, internet and, you know, local area network, mm-hmm. and then the Cat6 network for the, um, you know, the audio over IP. Mm-hmm. So this is really state-of-the-art um, audio. Um, and then, you know, I have my couple of controllers here. Yeah. And it's all Pro Tools and full of plugins. Oh, yeah. Um, very comfortable. I can work all night long, as I have mm-hmm. many, many times yeah. uh, without sleep um, any, time of the, any time of the night. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you, you have a, definitely a nice... A nice setup here. How big is your your screen, your projector? That's a 120 inch screen, nice. perforated, so the center channel sits behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a laser 4K projector from LG. Did you have to EQ that speaker any differently? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. I figured you would have. To. Oh, and that's the thing too. <clears throat> so I got certified in February of of last year, and then. March, <laughs> yeah, everything shut down unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, it requires a Dolby technician to come out, and they set up five or six mics in the room, and um, you know they check for for noise level mm-hmm. um, for your NC rating, yeah. and then um, you know they do their their tuning, and they make their tuning consistent from room to room, so that if you mix in one room, you can play that mix in another room, and it, sh- and it should translate very well. Which works yeah. well, obviously, because all all your major theaters are going to be Dolby certified, and so it's going to replay right perfectly in those rooms. Mm-hmm. One thing I did do um, recently is I added a second subwoofer, which is behind us, mm-hmm. and, and I, I noticed used, that when it came in. Yeah, yeah. I, I used that for uh, my LFE. My my base management is in the front and center, mm-hmm. or kind of where I sit, 
And um, that also, LFE plays out of both. I had to reverse the phase on this one. Mm -hmm. um, and then I uh, biamped the LCR. Okay. So I've got 300 to the nice. tweeter and 300 to the driver. Yeah. And, um, and I mounted them on the walls. And what this does is it creates this little sphere there, which yeah. actually gives you a lot more headroom. More nice. power, more power, cleaner power. Yeah. It's, oh, uh, you don't have to push it near as hard. And... You don't have to, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. So how many, how many amps do you have powering everything? So I've got an eight channel over here, which is my LCR and my two subs. Subs only require 300 watts each. They're, these are amazingly cinema hmm. subs. And then, um, and then I have uh, two other four channel amps, um, you know, four for the surrounds and four for the overheads. So here's the deal. If I'm working in stereo, I have one amp on. Mm -hmm. If I'm working in 5.1, then I have two amps on, 5.1 yeah. or 7.1. Yeah. And when I mix in 5.1, I use both my surrounds, right? Or all, all four surrounds and I, you know, pair these together for my left and those for okay. the right, you know, the, yeah, nice. the side surround and the rear surround nice. on their sides. So it's like a seven seven monitor, five point one right. setup, right? And then of course, seven point one, still the same two amps. And then, if I need the overheads, then and I'm doing a full Atmos mix, then all three amps are on. Yeah, have, have you gotten uh, a good amount of work for Atmos? Because I it's, it's it's still kind of a it's going to become extremely popular, especially with all the consumer level stuff that's coming out as Atmos. Yeah. I know it's going to get super popular. Um, even in the music world, it's going to get really popular. Absolutely. Which we've talked about a little bit in the past, but actually um, Celine Dion's people were just here two weeks ago yeah. screening her new album. Wow. Here. Yeah. Amazing. They mastered it up in, um, Canada and, and brought it here. You know, she's going to be performing at, um, Resorts World. Hmm. Yeah. So, she, yeah. She has Michelle. a residency there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been in there? Not yet. Oh, it's, I've been in the hotel. Yes. Yeah. But not in the venue. Yeah, I haven't been in the venue either. The hotel's yeah. beautiful, though. Yeah. You know, we went there on opening weekend just to check it out. And it's, it's enormous. a nice place. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin my cousin works there. I can't remember what he does. He's kind of one of those... Uh, I think he's like like a model entertainer in one of the clubs, mm -hmm. I think is what he does. Oops. Um, and then he's like a like a bartender as well, but he kind of like floats and does a bunch of different stuff. So they, they have some amazing, a really diverse... Um, cast of music acts too. You got yeah. country, and then Celine Dion, and you got a bunch of DJs. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sweet place. You know, they these casinos they <laughs> like people not to leave their property right, right. once the, once they arrive. Yeah, so they kind of have a little bit of everything to keep you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, but as far as the the Dolby work, now here's the here's the thing. Um, not many people have a Dol Dolby setup to screen their mixes, right? Mm -hmm. So think about this from a business perspective, which we haven't touched on too much, right? Mm -mm. Maybe we talk a little bit about that, but yeah. um, I'm 300 miles from the epicenter of television. Yeah. And so if someone wants to hear my mix, this is kind of the barrier for me, you know, and they want to be in and on the room, they got to travel 300 miles to be here. So mm -hmm. it kind of makes it a little bit difficult, yeah. right? To yeah. to have a full stream of of work. But mm -hmm. you know, I've I've had some, but not 
I'd like more. Mm-hmm. But hey, I take the work and I, I do a lot of stereo work yeah. still, you mm-hmm. know? It's just, you do whatever- You do whatever what, comes whatever your way. called for, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it is, it is difficult, you know, getting getting work from LA because you know you are 300 miles away and where in certain parts of the country that's not that far you know mm-hmm. but I think when you're talking about a, a market like the biggest market in entertainment yeah Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, it's it's it can be a barrier for sure and I think you kind of put it the best way you know one time we were kind of talking about you know working living here and you know working on LA projects and stuff and it is really hard as you put it, just to get people to trust you to mix out here. Right. And, um, it's, it's, it's the most important thing. So it's like all the people that I work with that are out of anywhere besides Las Vegas, it's because I already have that established relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's even most present when it comes to working on LA projects. Yeah. Which is an outdated thing, you know, I think because of the, the power of the internet, you well, know. I think the pandemic proved that the pandemic, exactly. that concept works, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, with the CW, we um, normally don't mix the shows. We're mixing all the promo material. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of shows that were in post up in Toronto, and that facility closed down because of the pandemic. And yeah. I ended up finishing the shows here. Wow. And, you know, kind of saved... First of all, I saved them a lot of money, mm-hmm. number one. But secondly, I actually saved those shows getting done and getting them on the air. You know, it was like yeah. 20 episodes of one series and 10 of another. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yep. You don't need any more proof of concept than what the pandemic did. It's no, it's it, sure. it, it works. And, you know, <laughs> the interesting thing, um, I, can, I can see where, um, you know, certain parts of the business need to be in person. You need to have people together maybe for creative meetings, you know, production meetings. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, maybe a producer or director needs to be behind the editor, something like that. Mm-hmm. But audio, we don't need anyone in the room. No. We don't want anyone yeah, in the exactly. room. Exactly. I'm going to say we I don't want anybody. Out, right? <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. I don't need you yapping at me that you know that the music's a little low right now. Yeah. That, yeah, no. <laughs> that's that's the that's the conversation we're having right now. Like, do we really need to return? Right. When things get back to so-called normal, I think mm. this just really, you know, showed the world that uh, a lot of things can work virtually, mm-hmm. right? And and um, people can be more productive in their own environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And do better work. And the overhead cost is is goes down to next to nothing for for a lot of places you know because they don't have to they don't have to have a physical location anymore technically Mm -hmm. you know um i mean there's a million uh there's a million online companies out there right now that don't even have a a location right i work for technically what's a, a website but we and we have an actual location but um we don't need to almost everybody in the company works remotely yeah you know so but you know, um, getting back to the room, mm-hmm. um, I, I do want to say um, the the gear is all cool and all that, but the room itself is hugely important because it affects oh, yeah. the sound, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, the system 
has been finely tuned. Um, the recent tuning by Carl Yanchar of Yanchar Design Group built studios for um, HBO, for Netflix, and um, one of the big studios out here in Vegas mm. uh, with Bobby Ferrari. What is it? Um, oh, yeah. the uh, Is it the hideout? Or no, not the hideout. A mix house. Mix it used house. to be something else. Odds, okay. odds on or something. Or mm, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, and so he's done a, done a lot, a lot of work um, in designing studios. He comes from a huge mastering background, um, where I think at one point a company he was working for, they had like uh, 15 out of the top 20 songs <laughs> that they mm. mastered. You know. Wow. But. Um, um, the room has been finely tuned or the system to the room, right? So it's flat. And one thing I've really noticed about my mixes is I'm actually EQing dialogue less than yeah. I was before. Mm, that's nice. You know, microphones, if, 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 if someone is mic'd properly, right, the microphone usually picks up the nuance, mm -hmm. right, of the person's voice. Um, but I find myself working more in a subtractive EQ rather than adding. Yeah. You know, and um, for anyone just getting started in mixing or, you know, not a lot of experience, I highly recommend, um, you know, balancing the dialogue first. Don't don't make your first move to that EQ, right? Mm -hmm. or, or, or don't over-compress yeah. things. Let, let things breathe right yeah more naturally and and bring in the other elements and let that determine where your eq needs to go yeah you know yeah um, thinking and, about the the, the whole picture versus the isolated absolutely dialogue. and yeah. and if you need if you need the dialogue to cut through that music more maybe your maybe your music needs to be cut exactly. in places that's the way okay. i go about it too so um so I, I like to subtract, like if, if, if the dialogue's a little tubby, I'm not going for my high end to add high end to it. I'm right. pulling taking out, out the low end. Taking out the low end, the low mids around 300, somewhere around there. Yeah. That's a problem Always frequency in dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and um, and uh, what's cool about this um, S3 I use, the Avid S3, I thought about, you know, getting an S6, there was a, a, a beautiful, S6 that uh, was um, used and there was a great deal on it, but you know, that doesn't make any sound. Right. <laughs> it's a controller. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I and I can do everything I need to with this S3 and, yeah. and the dock over here. I, there are some functions that I, you know, have um, programmed in my personal stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I, call up an EQ and I flip it on the music and I'll ride 2K in and out mm. around the dialogue where the yeah. dialogue lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, orchestral stuff kind of gets um, a little uh, bunched up in the 2K area. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll ride that out. Um, guitar music can do the same. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of things live in that area for, yeah. for their intelligibility. Mm -hmm. And so, so... I find myself, you know, mixing frequencies. Yeah. So that I don't kill the energy in the music. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um that's a, that's the best way to go about it in my opinion as well. Yeah. Um usually with if I'm working in stereo, 
Um, usually I try and I keep the, the dialogue as natural as possible, tonally. Mm -hmm. Usually always subtractive first. Um, and then if I need just, I want something else to pop out a little bit, either in the low end or the top end, then I'll do that last yeah. additive stuff. Right. Um, and then I usually, um, I usually do sidechain compression for the, for the, for the music with like a, like a multi-band compressor. Mm -hmm. So it's only compressing the, whatever vocal frequencies are there. So the rest of it, yeah, you know, like the, the meat in the middle where the, where the, where the vocal is or the dialogue, you know, is being cut in the music, but I still have all the low end to it and I still got all the top end to it. Yeah. I like, the, I like that too. There's a, what is it? The F six or something? I use the, um, C six. The C6. wave wave C six waves. Okay, you, I'm using the the specific the side chain one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you feed it the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just send it out reveal. on the bus. And mm -hmm. I do that too. Um, you have to be careful to do it um, uh, with flavor and and care. Yeah, I mean that's kind of my. Um, I'll keep that in there as a, as a starting point, you know, and I and I just touch it a little like that, mm -hmm. but. If I still feel like the music is is overpowering it, then I'll go in and do my own rides on top of it. Yeah, or I'll sure. just if it's the entire track, I'll just you know bring it down. Yeah, like two k around there, and yeah, you know narrow the curve a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, same. Yeah, that's definitely that's yeah. my process as well. It just seems to work the best. Mm -hmm. um, keeping what's most important as your focal point, which Absolutely. is the dialogue. Yep. Yeah, um, allows it to breathe, and yeah. that's the cool thing about Atmos too, um, because now we're talking about the spatialness of Atmos, mm -hmm. um, and you can push things to the back of the room, you can push things higher, right? And I find that you can bring out a lot more. I'll tell you, definitely. I, we talked about Herbie in that concert being a life-changing moment. Yeah, another one was when I sat in the front row at Beatles Love. Mm. And that was mixed in multi-channel surround. I don't even know what the format was. Uh -huh. But I heard things in that music that I'd never heard before. Wow. And so this is kind of where Atmos is because, you know, um, you can, for instance, I, I, I mixed a um, hundred, the hundred, you know, the show, the hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mixed the original trailer yeah, I've watched um, it in here, yeah. For for the launch yeah. on the CW, and that trailer ended up on uh, one of the Xboxes or something. It was there. But I brought it here, and I did an Atmos mix on it. Mm -hmm. And narration, you know, she's talking about living up here, right? Mm -hmm. On their, their space station or whatever it is, floating around the Earth, right? We've been li living up here for three generations. Yeah. So I started the... Uh, narration up high and you yeah. can also mess with size as well mm -hmm. so meaning size if you go 100% that means it's in everything every yeah. monitor it's yeah. all around you right yeah um, if you've ever seen Mad Max Fury Road he narrates his this godlike godlike voice in the beginning mm -hmm. he's, that's 100% he's everywhere yeah so Anyway, so she's up there, and there's that feel, and then we move down to her in her cell, mm -hmm. and so the size shrinks, and then she starts to move down until her voice is right dead center channel pinpointed. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool. You can bring out 
a lot of a lot more things in the mix i think than you can in the stereo field absolutely you know and and you can hear these elements you're compressing so much less yeah because you can spread everything out right you know you're not trying to crunch everything into two speakers you can let it all breathe absolutely and yeah you can i it's it's a it's the first time i ever the first time i ever mixed anything surround my world changed yeah like it was like this is this is everything you know right um because yeah i mean you, you you're not worried like you say you can push the music to the back if you want to to mm -hmm. let everything if there's something competing over here you know you can push it to the back and that's okay because it's not like it's 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 not like in mono to stereo where like if it's sitting left and right you know if it if it if it sums to mono you can have some things covering up it's always going to be like that right well so I mean, when you do your we... smaller mixes you obviously have to take that into account but like you know like in in an actual multi-channel format it's always going to be that way so it's it's okay if you do that it's super liberating I mean, this is how we naturally hear sound, right? We have yeah. sound around us and above us, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and then especially when you are in a in a large space, like in a hall or something, mm -hmm. there's reverberation happening off of the ceiling, right? Yeah. Which is giving you that height, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we you see it on your reverb plugin mm -hmm. where you see height, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have height speakers, <laughs> well, how are you hearing the height? Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Or I guess maybe they call it size or something. Size, usually, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, and I think most of the time that's just, you know, an, an emulation with frequencies. You know yeah. what I mean? Like mm -hmm. how, how, like, how bright or how dull kind of gives you a perspective on how far something is away right. from you. Mm -hmm. You know, the higher frequency it is, the higher it, it seems up it, top. Exactly. So. Moves up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's nice. You don't have to mess around with any of that with Atmos. <laughs> you just <laughs> put it up there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really, and, and it's it's really not that complicated. After you get through all the routing and all that stuff, you know, which is, yeah, it's a little mind-bending in the beginning. Um, I, yeah. I wired everything myself. I, you know, put it all together myself, chose the gear um, with help, you know, Dolby and my um, Danny Fassold over at uh, Westlake Audio has been mm. instrumental in helping me put this together. That's a good company. Yes. Um, and uh, I want, because if there were any issues, I wanted to know it. Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. I, I've been on the phone tech support with Focusrite so many times, mm. with Avid so many times, with Dolby. Yeah. You know, just to, you know, you overlook things. You forget to, you know, hit one little switch that just... Yeah. When you're yeah. working with such a complex system, I mean, you got to know the ins and outs. You do. Otherwise, it's yeah. like if something goes wrong, you have no idea where to start. Well, I don't want to call a tech guy every time I have right. an issue, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To come in, so. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, cool, David. I think uh, I think that probably about wraps it up. We've been going for for a little while now. Wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> good. Um, thanks again uh, for doing this. Thanks for bringing me over to the studio. I hadn't been here since just before COVID shut everything wow. down. So yeah. it's been a little while. Um, it's good happy to have to you back. back yeah, it's it's great. It's great great to be here. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm happy for you to see it. Yeah, yeah. I love what you've done with the, with the courtyard and then because I had never seen any of that. Yeah. Um, well, well yeah. the plan was, you know, when I got certified, Dolby wanted to send all the resident artists here to screen their their mixes here. Nice. You know, mm -hmm. even if I didn't do it, they wanted a room for that. So. Mm -hmm. I had this whole thing planned to make it private, you know, they yeah. could come in and 
feel like they're nobody's going to walk in on them, whatever. Right. And then everything shut down. <laughs> yeah. But we're getting back. We're I getting mean, back finally. Celine's people coming through was was uh, that's pretty that's a big uh, deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, beautiful album too. So good to hear. Yeah. All right. Well, um, th- David, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to everybody listening. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. I had a great time chatting. So uh, thanks so much. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I certainly did. Um, it was great to uh, to catch up with David. It had been a little bit since I had last talked to him. Um, he was one of the earlier guys that I met out here uh, when I first moved out here to Vegas. Um, and we hadn't really seen each other, connected a whole lot uh, since before COVID. And uh, we had texted a little bit back and forth about certain things and possibilities and stuff like that. But um, it was the first time actually going over to his studio again or over to his studio again. And, um, you know, for quite a while, I mean, it was, I guess it was, it was probably March or so, um, of 2020. So it's been a little bit, so it was great to catch up with him, uh, reacquaint and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, it was great. He's a really, really awesome guy. Super, super talented, brings a, a wealth of experience and uh, it's always good to have somebody like that on the show to explain a little bit from their point of view much higher up on the mountain but um yeah before i let you go i just want to say thanks again for tuning in Um, make sure to head over to simpleequationsmedia.com simple equations on facebook at simple equations media on instagram simple equations underscore on twitter um, also head over to at Dreaming in F Minor on both Instagram and Facebook. Head over to Dreaming in F Minor or patreon.com slash Dreaming in F Minor. And yeah, tune in uh, next week. Another really, really awesome. Oh, wait, let me see. No, um, we're going to be taking Thanksgiving off. So not next week, but the week after. Um, I have a really, really awesome interview planned. Um, so yeah, we will see you then. I guess we'll see you in December. Yeah, awesome. So um, I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Spend time with the ones you love. And uh, we'll see you the week after. Thank you.